0: Well, good morning. It's good to see you this morning. My name is Jeff. I'm one of the pastors here, and I get to start our new series. Happy February, by the way. It is February, and we're starting a series called Nurturing Healthy Families. Nurturing Healthy Families, and this morning, we are going to start on the issue of marriage. But first, I realize that if we're going to talk about marriage, first we have to talk about marriage. So let me ask you, if you had a doctor that you went to and you were seeking advice and care from your doctor and your doctor said you know what just go ahead and eat whatever you want I mean if it tastes good and and if everybody else is eating it just just go ahead and enjoy don't don't worry about it and exercise only if other people are doing it and you could have fun that would be fine but you know don't worry about it don't don't sweat it don't sweat it and and you know sleep you know get whatever you need and just on down the line and, and everything that they told you was, it was kind of popular, and it's like what everybody else was doing, but ultimately, it didn't really help you. Or if you had a financial planner, and you went to your financial planner, and you said, well, I'm doing this and this, and they're like, oh, well, that's fine, but you really want that boat, though, right? Man, you'd look good in that boat. Just, just go for that. I mean, you, YOLO, right? You only live once, and so just, just go ahead and do that. And, and ultimately, you got farther on down the road, and you found out that you really weren't prepared, and, and you, you don't have any money. In fact, all of your investments, they were really hot at the time you got them, but they have fizzled out, and they've kind of, you don't really have anything. And, and your financial advisor always made you feel good, and he told you the, you know the hot, fad stuff to invest in, but it really didn't turn out to be much of anything. So you wouldn't want that kind of a financial advisor. So I'm not a financial advisor, I'm not a doctor, you're blessed. But I am a pastor. So it is today, more than ever in the history of our nation, today is a time when pastors are under the gun to just stand up and tell people what they want to hear. And they want to tell people what they want to hear, unless there's something a little wrong with them, and they just like making people mad. But most pastors don't go into ministry for that, for that purpose. So we're talking about the family, we're talking about marriage, and that invariably gets into sexuality, uh, it gets into gender stuff, it gets into the, a lot of the stuff that in our country we're having all these new realizations and new revelations about stuff, and, and a lot of it is good, but not all of it, right? And I hate when you, either, when you have to either take it all or none or throw the baby out with the bathwater. I don't like either option. I don't like either option. I like the both and option. I don't like the either or option because usually either or just never works out. So I want to show you a, a, a thing on the screen here. It's a chart. And this chart shows, now you can't read it, but I can read it because I put it up there and I know what it says. On the left, you've got the yellow. It says two parents in first marriage. These are households with kids under 18. Okay, that's all these are. Homes with kids under 18. Two parents in their first marriage. 1960 is the left, 1980 is the middle stack, and 2014 is the stack on the right. And you can see how two parents in first marriage with kids under 18, 73%, 61%, 46%. That's going in a direction, okay? And on the other side, or on the bottom, it's uh, two parents in remarriage, is in the blue. And then there's a new section all the way to the right, cohabiting parents or parents that are living together, but they've got kids, but they're just not married yet. And then there's single parents, and then there's no parent. And you can see that that stack is growing while the top stack is declining. Now, what that is, is that's not good news for kids because that's not a good scenario for a child to be, to be raised in the home. And that's not an opinion. That's a, that's a well-researched and well-documented fact that children that are raised with their mom and, our, and their dad, rule of thumb, overall, meta, they're, they're better off than kids in single-parent homes. Now, that's kind of common sense, but it tugs at us a little bit, right? Because we know that not every kid has the option, and not every parent has the option to have their kid in a two-parent home. They find themselves in a situation where that's just not the case. I could show you slide after slide after slide all kinds of different stuff about marriage and families in the United States. But basically, they're all going to tell you similar things, that it's getting more and more challenging for kids as people are making their own more and more choices for what makes them happy and satisfied in life. It's getting more challenging as kids. So this morning, we want to talk about nurturing a healthy marriage And I want to say that marriage is the foundation of a family. So here's what I'm very concerned with, though. That as I talk about it, or as you would talk about it, or as you would live out truth to others, is that it comes across as judgmental, harsh, and mean, demeaning, insulting, and humiliating to those we talk to. Because the church has been pretty good at that over the last 75 years. It really has. It really has. And that's that's been a a downside of the fact we've got the truth. That's good. But then what do we do with the truth? That's a whole other story. So what I want to talk to you, I want to talk to you about truth this morning. But what we do with it is as important as it. What we do with the truth is as important as the fact that we have the truth because we could take the truth and do some bad stuff with it and hurt people and we don't want to do that. So I want to take you to so what I'm going to do this morning is this isn't this isn't fancy. So you have to want to hear what God's word says about some stuff. Cuz so I'm just going to kind of walk you through what the scriptures say about marriage, about same-sex relationships, about gender Uh, about sexual orientation, things like that, okay? Uh, We talked about this four or five months ago. I talked about it, but not from this angle. And apparently when I talked about it, some people got nervous. Now, they didn't talk to me. I just heard through the grapevine. I didn't get any names or anything, even though I dug and tried to get them. I didn't get any names. Um, But this this is a little sensitive for us, right? Whenever we talk about these kinds of things, it's sensitive. So this morning, I'm going to talk about it, right? Because next week, we're going to talk about marriage. But we can't talk about marriage until we talk about marriage, because marriage is a big thing in our culture and in our society. But there's two passages that give us a hint that sometimes the crowd doesn't have it all right. In Matthew 23, Jesus just gets done excoriating and lambasting The religious leaders in the temple of that day in Jerusalem. And he says at the end of that chapter, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who kill the prophets and stone those sent to you, how often I have longed to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings. And you were not willing. I wanted to love you, but you weren't willing. Look, your house, it's left you desolate. All the blessings that God wanted to give, the people turned away. And in in Jesus' day, it was to the point where the religious leaders, in fact, Jesus said to them, you guys are doing such a terrible job that you tie up these big burdens and you place them on people's backs. And you don't even lift a, a little finger to help them with those burdens. And you make them... Twice, a child, twice as much a child of hell as you are. Jesus told the religious leaders that because they weren't giving the people the truth. And then in Isaiah, some six, 700 years before that, God was speaking through Isaiah when he said to the people, Whoa, to those who call evil good and good evil, who put darkness for light and light for darkness, who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter... Woe to those who are wise in their own eyes and clever in their own sight. So, unfortunately, we're living in that kind of a society today. We're in a society where we've grown with such knowledge and such information and such uh, illumination that we're, we're too smart for our own good at this point. In the culture that we live in, the American culture, desire determines truth. Desire determines truth. Why? Because the priority values are freedom and liberty. Those are the values of our culture, freedom and liberty. And taken to the nth degree, those values will produce a people that just do whatever they want to do because they've got the freedom to do it. And it's my inalienable right as a citizen to do whatever I want to do with some exceptions, but we just keep pushing those boundaries. Some examples are speech. You know, we can say anything in our country, no matter how lofty and principled and erudite it is, and no matter how dumb it is. We've got the freedom to say it, right? And that's good, and sometimes it's bad, depending on how we use it. And then sexuality. We've got freedom of sexuality. We can We can choose any sexual orientation. We can engage in any kind of sexual activity because we've got the freedom to do it. And we can't criticize one another about it because that would be oppressive and that would be hate speech, right? Now, there's some good to that. Let's admit it, there's some good to that. And there's some real bad to that, too. It's good not to hate other people. It's good not to do hate speech, but when you put some of this under that column, that's not good. So, another example of freedom and liberty, with marriage. With marriage. Anybody can marry anybody else, there's no parameters, there's no guidelines. And and it goes on and on. Gender, we can choose our gender. Guns, because we've got the freedom uh, to keep and bear arms. We just think that there's absolutely no limitations on any of that. Alcohol, there's no limitations. We can do what we want to do. Now, of course, you've got the, I don't know what they call it, DUI, DWI, O something I. They're always changing those acronyms. We've got some of those laws, and those are good. But they curtail our freedom, too, some will argue. Media, out of control, whatever, whatever. So truth is determined in our culture by each individual. What's true for me? Don't criticize what's true for me in our culture. And again, I want to acknowledge there's some good to that. There's some good to have an individual liberty and freedom. But it's not good when truth and reality are just relative. This is whatever I decide it's going to be. Whatever I decide my truth is going to be for me is okay. We've got a couple generations sitting in the room. We've got a younger generation. We've got a middle-sized generation. Middle-sized. That too. Medium age. And we've got an older generation, right? Depending on the world you grew up in, that's your worldview. So you old people, you think that marriage is just between a man and a woman. man. Get with the 2020s, baby. right? But for the younger people, it's just the world they're growing up in. And I'm concerned that if we don't talk about it at church, they'll just hear about it everywhere else. So why don't we talk about it? So with your permission and even without it, I'm up here. I might as well start. We'll talk about it this morning. God's reality and God's culture is different, though, because in God's reality, adherence to truth always increases our quality of life. And conversely, denial of reality actually decreases our quality of life. That's true. So yes, in this country, we're free to do whatever we want to do, and we're free to experience the consequences, too. And in God's reality, truth and reality are objective. You can actually, this is what it is. And also, guidelines make freedom possible. Well, a lack of boundaries destroys freedom. For for example... I have the freedom to fill my car up with gas several times and drive to either coast, the northern border, or the southern border, or the Gulf. I can drive wherever I want to drive. I mean, i got to pay for the gas. They didn't tell me that. And then my car should be registered, and there needs to be a sticker on it somewhere. And it also, when I drive it, I need to drive on the right-hand side of the road, which is dumb. I should be able to drive on whatever side is the smoothest side, You avoid the rumble strips and the potholes, right? And some roads you even got to pay money to drive on. There's rules and regulations about speed and passing people and gesturing and things like that. So the guidelines, though, give me great freedom because with the guidelines, I'm probably going to make it to either coast. Without the guidelines, it's a roll of the dice. I, I may not make it. if if nobody has any rules on how to drive, but why do we think that in life we shouldn't have guidelines? That somehow we accept them in certain parts of our lives, but in other parts of our lives we have this newfound freedom and we just think that it should all just be fine. It's just what's in my heart to do. It's no more true there than it is the principles of economics, the principles of health and well-being. There's also principles for families, And God's reality for the family is what we want to talk about over the next four weeks. And I want to talk this morning about to nurture a healthy family, we must follow God's guidelines. Now that is old and fuddy-duddy, right? I mean, the word fuddy-duddy is fuddy-duddy. Half of you don't even know what it means. It's just like, okay, boomer. I mean, it's just like so old, so 1900s. But we have to talk about it. So let's start, let's start with marriage, because next week we're going to talk about marriage, but this week then we've got to talk about marriage before we talk about marriage. So what I'm going to do is just take you through, like I said, it's not fancy. I'm going to take you through some scriptures, and I want you to see what God's Word has to say. So let's start at the beginning in Genesis 1. Now, we're not going to look at every book in the Bible. By the way, I'm going to take, um, take an administrative timeout. Hey, Paul, it is really, really hot Hallelujah. I mean, we're going to heaven, but down here it's like. Thanks, Paul. <laughs> How to embarrass Paul. Okay, we're back from our administrative timeout. Genesis chapter 1. Then God said, Let us make mankind in our image. In, you watch, it's going to be freezing. In our likeness so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals and over all the creatures that move along the ground. God made us in his image. That's a good thing because he's a good God. And he made us to be like him. That's a good thing. And he knows what he's like, and so he gives us guidelines to be like him and how we should be like for our best because he loves us. That's a foundational presupposition of understanding the Bible, that God's in it for our good. And so God created mankind in his own image. He did that. And in the image of God, he created the male and female. He created them. God created genders. He created male, and then he created female, and he did it so that it could continue you know, there's actually parents right now whose kids are yet to be born, they're, they're expecting a child, and their plan is to, when the baby's born, announce the birth of their baby, but not the gender. Remember, us older people remember when it used to be that some people thought their kids should determine whether or not they were going to go to church. Kids should decide whether or not they're going to believe in God and whether or not they're going to worship and where they go to church. Well, okay, that's one way of doing it. But you know what? Let's back up. Now, now it's even gender. Our kids going to decide what gender they are? They're going to decide. Not their birth isn't going to decide that. They can be whatever gender they want to be. It's called, well, there's a lot of different phrases. One of them is gender equality. Um, they can be whatever they want to be. We have the freedom to be a boy or a girl. But that's not what... Genesis says, it says that he created them male and female. There's a, oh man, there's so much scripture that talks about how God designs us and makes us and creates us. And we're made in God's image, and it's a wonderful, beautiful thing. Then Genesis 2, the Lord God said, it's not good for the man to be alone. The only thing that wasn't good in all of God's creation was that the guy was by himself, he said, I will make, make a helper suitable for him. Now, I looked in a lot of different translations because I think helper is a little demeaning in our society. If we're going to call the one that he made for the man a helper, but I found out in doing a little study and research, which is always good, that helper was actually a really good phrase and a really good word as well. And it's actually used of God. I will make a helper suitable for him. So think an indispensable partner. God is our helper, the one that we cannot do, We can't do without God. We need God. One scholar said it this way, the term helper does not diminish the person who holds that role. If anything, the divine nuance of the term helper in the person of God in the Pentateuch gives special dignity. So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep, and while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs, then he closed up the place with flesh, And then the Lord God made a woman from the rib he had taken out of the man, and he brought her to the man, and the man said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man. That's why, that's why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife, and they become one flesh. Adam and his wife were both naked, and they felt no shame. One flesh here means both unity and equality. See, because in our culture, as we look at a passage like this, with our cultural lens, we think hierarchy. It wasn't at all in the mix at all here. There's no hierarchy. Remember when Jesus told his disciples, hey, you guys, you know in the Gentile world, people that have authority, they lord it over the people under them? It shouldn't be that way. That's not that way with you. In fact, there were, there's only one Lord, right? That's Jesus. Jesus is the only one who can handle that title. Because what did Jesus do when he realized that the Father had put all things under his authority? He got out his towel, he bent down, he got a basin of water, and he washed his disciples' feet. What did the Lord, the Creator, do? He came down to the planet and he sacrificed himself for his people. He died on the cross to set us free. That's what authority is. And so when you go back to Genesis chapter 2, it says that he was united to his wife and they became one flesh. That's equality. That's partnership. That's oneness. That was God's design. And it works with a man and a woman. And that's God's call. Like we want to say it's our call because we're in this culture of freedom and, and you know, liberty, but it's really God's call. Because God designed the game. He even created the cover art for it, right? I mean, God created all the pieces in the game and the board and he wrote all the rules and, and we're in the game of life. And there's only blue and pink that go in that little car, right? So Jesus, later on in Matthew 19, we could say, well, that's Genesis. That's way back in the Old Testament. But Jesus was asked by some Pharisees Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any and every reason? They were trying to test him and trick him, and he wasn't going to get involved in their stuff. So he answered like this. He says, haven't you read that at the beginning, and he goes to the beginning, the Creator, and he says, made them male and female. Well, they weren't talking about gender. They were just talking about husbands and wives. But he even talks about gender. In the beginning, God made them male and female on purpose. And he said, for this reason, this is why there's a purpose for it. This is why a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife and the two will become one flesh. And then Jesus gives a commentary on that. Jesus goes on to say, so they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. The picture here of a husband and wife is the picture of Jesus and the church. And we're going to look at that in a second. Paul goes on to talk about that. But Jesus himself goes back and he says, hey, whoa, whoa, time out. This is, this is the Father who did this. And he made us male and female. And he made us to be one flesh. And nobody is to say, don't, don't talk about divorce. And then they went on and asked more questions about divorce in the context. But he answered them. He answered them. And then Paul later on in Romans chapter 1, oh, this is a hard one. Paul says, in, in talking about the people who had turned away from God, although they claimed to be wise, they became fools. And they exchanged, they traded the glory of the immortal God. What glory that is. For, for just images. You know, there's something about FaceTime that's really nice, and there's something about it that's just two-dimensional, right? This, this is the kind of the picture here. Do you want to be with somebody to give them a hug and to touch them and to, to love being with them and spend time with them? Or do you just want to look at them on FaceTime? I don't know how big the screen is. You can't, you can't get through the glass veneer. And, and, and he says they exchange the the in-person for FaceTime, images made to look like a mortal human being And birds and animals and reptiles. They exchanged or they they traded the truth about God for a lie. That is so descriptive of what our culture is doing today. They're trading truth from God for a lie. And it's disastrous because a lie is never going to bless your life it's never going to bless my life. A lie isn't. No matter how nice it is and how kind it's supposed to be, it just isn't because it's not our call. It's God's call. And and they worshipped and served created things rather than the creator. Because that 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 pole, that that altar, that idol, it's not really divine. There's no power in it. It can't do anything. And marriage, and sexuality, and gender, those are holy, wonderful things that God created. When we mess them all up, it doesn't work. We think we're happy, but it's not very helpful. And then it goes on to say in that chapter, because of this, God gave them over to shameful lusts. God just kind of like, okay, I mean, I want to, I want you to follow me but if you won't it's up to you. Even their women exchanged natural sexual relations for unnatural ones. In the same way the men also abandoned natural relations with women and were inflamed with lust for one another. Men committed shameful acts with other men. So here's the problem with this passage. The problem with it is I'm going to give them the benefit of the doubt. Good natured and well-meaning and well-intentioned followers of Jesus have taken it and they have hurt people with it terribly, terribly. So I'm going to say to you, you know that rainbow flag, right? When I look, when I see that rainbow flag, I get good feelings. Oh, now you're nervous. When I see that, I do, I get good feelings because when I see it, I think of acceptance, and and affirmation, and respect, and inclusion. That's part of it. The problem is, it's all with the wrong foundation, because it's a lie. I mean, I I hope that those things aren't a lie, but the foundation of it, that it doesn't really matter what your sexual orientation is, because it's in the eye of the beholder, it's just not true. I wish it were. I wish it were true. It'd be so much easier if it were true. Yeah, anybody do what you want to do. It's just fine. It's just not true. So how do we, and this is our challenge as believers, how do we live out the truth and promote the truth while still loving people? Because let us not dare disrespect or dishonor or shame or judge or put down or humiliate somebody because they don't agree with us or because they think differently than us or they, they live differently than us or they vote differently than us or they believe differently than us. That's no excuse to disparage or mock or ridicule or name call. There's no excuse for any of that. The people of God, Jesus' people, They better be the ones that when people are around them, man, oh man, how they love. They just love me. I I really, I I don't think they agree with my life. But man, they love me. In Ephesians chapter 5, Paul goes on and he says, and further, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. For wives, this means submit to your husbands as to the Lord. For husbands, this means love your wives just as Christ loved the church. And again, in our culture, this passage, seen through these cultural eyes, it superimposes hierarchy on the passage. And you've got the the dad and the mom's down here and the kids are down here. That's all unbiblical. It's unbiblical. There's order in God's creative uh, artistry for a family and for a couple. There's order, but it has nothing to do with hierarchy. It starts out, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. And actually in verse 22, the word submit doesn't even appear in the original Greek language. What it actually reads is submit to one another out of reverence for for Christ. Wives, to your own husbands, as to the Lord. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church. So there's this mutuality, there's this respect, there's this honoring of one another. And it's a beautiful thing. There is no hierarchy. But then we get into 1 Corinthians chapter 7. So again, there's this husband and wife thing. It's very clear, it's very specific, it's very meaningful, and picture and and portrays and pictures Jesus Christ and his church, the bridegroom and the bride. And in 1 Corinthians 7. Paul is talking about human sexuality and sexual activity. And by the way, we understand that God loves sex, right? God loves sex. Young people need to hear that. God loves sex and he he designed it. He created it. Can you imagine the, the Trinitarian conversation in heaven that followed the realization that It is not good for a man to be alone. Hmm. You ever think about that? So you got Adam and he's all by himself. And there's no suitable helper found for him on the planet. None of the animals are going to do. And he needs help. And so the Trinity has to decide what they're going to do about it. And they come up with a woman. Right? And for the woman, he's he's already come up with Adam. And can you imagine the Holy Spirit saying to Jesus, hey, you know what? Adam needs help here. Let's do this. And Jesus went, whoa, well, if you're going to do that, then let's do this. This will be really good. And the father is like, you guys, if you're going to do that, then let's do this. This will be awesome. They will love this. Okay, let's do that too. And they're excited because God created and loves to see his people involved in sexual activity in that holy, sacred bond of matrimony, of 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 commitment to one another. That's how God created us. It's a beautiful and wonderful thing. And yet, predictably, we mar it. It gets messed up. But since there is sexual immorality and it is occurring, Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 7, each man should have sexual relations with who? With his own wife. So each man should have sexual relations and each woman should have sexual relations, but with her own husband. And the husband should fulfill his marital duty to his wife. And likewise, the wife to her husband. And get this, the wife doesn't have authority over her own body, but yields it to her husband. And in the same way, the husband, he doesn't have authority. You want to talk about hierarchy and authority in the marriage relationship. You don't have authority over your own body, but your spouse has authority but yields it to his wife. This is how God designed it. This was God's intention. So God created us male and female. God wants us to be involved in heterosexual sexual relationships, and God wants us to be married to a person of the opposite sex. We just looked at just a little scratching of the surface of what the scriptures say about it. Because in in reality, there's not just like three or four or six main passages that approve or condemn this or that. There's the whole scope of the scriptures. There's the whole arc and story and narrative of God to humankind. And it's it's so clear. So in, in Canada, our Alliance brothers and sisters in Canada, they ordain women. Okay? They ordain women. Many of the alliance uh, uh, groups around the world, because each country has their own alliance uh, uh, leadership, many of them ordain women. In fact, when our American uh, international workers, our American missionaries, our alliance missionaries, go overseas, they go over, and the husband and wife are both international workers. And they're both seen as missionaries and pastors in most of the societies we go to. But it's in America that there's more of a gender Gap when it comes to serving, okay that just is whether you agree with it or not or I agree with it or not, it just is, but there 's space in understanding the scriptures for that interpretation there 's absolute biblical space to understand that but however, on the other hand uh, when it comes to sexuality and gender and marriage it 's just pretty clear and Honestly, I've been teaching this for 33 years now, and for the last 10 years, I've been looking, because honestly, if I could just marry anybody, it would make it a lot easier, a lot easier. And I looked, I said, God, if love really is love and gender doesn't matter, I want to know that. Because I don't want to lead people down the wrong path and create pain in people's lives. But the truth is, it's just not in there. And you could take a half dozen passages and you could kind of distort the interpretation of them and maybe come up with this left-handed version of the truth. It just really isn't there. And, and, and we, we don't as believers, and as a pastor, but as believers, we don't want to give people false hope, distorted reality, and lies essentially and cause in their life a lot more pain. So in Proverbs chapter 1, it says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. When you read the fear of the Lord, think reverence. Reverence for God. The fact that you are God and I am not. There's great freedom in that reality. We don't, and we don't have to judge. We better not dare judge or criticize or condemn. Because God just gave us one job. Remember, you got one job. you has got this one job, love. Oh, thank you, God. That's a lot easier. So you'll do the judging, you'll take... You will? Okay, good, cool. God will do the judging. All we have to do is the loving and the truth-telling. That's why Jesus was full of grace and truth. Because John 3, the Bible says, For God so loved the world that he gave His one and only Son, that whoever would believe in him would not perish, but have everlasting life. Judge not, lest ye be judged, Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount. So here's the challenge. How do we live out the truth without condemning? Because you know what? People that struggle with same-sex attraction are welcome here. Homosexuals are welcome here. God calls us to love them. Same-gender couples are welcome here because God calls us to love them. And some of you are going, oh. But you know what? God calls us to love, not to judge, not to condemn. He also calls us to speak truth and not lies. So that's the, that's the razor's edge that we've got to ride. How do we speak truth and still love people. I don't know, but that's our challenge because some of you are going to say, yeah, yeah, but, but there's questions. I got questions like, what about my brother? What about my cousin? What about my... Well, yeah, I know, I know, right? What about my neighbors? I know. It's messy. What about them? Well, let's, we could start out with the fact that God says we don't have to judge them. We don't have to condemn them. That's good news for us. God says you can love them you can share the truth with them. You can share the gospel, the good news of Jesus, that Jesus loves them. Really, does it really matter which sin you're involved in? We're all involved in something. Does it really matter which sin our neighbors uh, major on? Jesus is going to save them out of, out of all that and, and from all that anyway. But we're in a tough spot as believers. We really are. But here's what I don't want. Man, I would never want somebody in our community to think, Oh yeah, they don't like us because of how we are. God help us if we're that kind of people. Better, man, I know that they don't agree with, with us. Boy, they love us. Man, they love us. They've never put me down. They've never condemned me. They've always made me feel welcome. They've always made me feel love. That's why we don't trash and we don't ridicule and we don't mock, we don't make fun of, we don't name call. And all that stuff happens on where? social media. Stop it, right? We got to stop that. Who reads social media? Oh, I don't know, just everybody under 30, right? What's our mission group, right? The next generation, the emerging generation? They better, may we be the church that is the most loving and the most truthful. They're not mutually exclusive, they're not. It is hard and it is messy and I'm sorry, but it is. But it's what God's called us to. The Holy Spirit of God and the power of God in us gives us the power to love and to care for people. That's our job as a church, as a people of God. And everyone is welcome here. And it's only a matter of time before somebody comes to the doors and you're going to think, oh, they're not like us. Make them us so that they can meet Jesus, okay? Everyone's a greeter that Sunday, and maybe that Sunday's today. Let's pray. God, thank you. Thank you for your word. Thank you that you give us truth. God, I thank you that you are the judge. You, God, we will all stand before you someday. And in Christ, we are free and clean and righteous. And without him... You are our judge, and we take whatever you're going to dish out. But God, I thank you that you're the judge and we're not. Lord, I pray for all of us as a church, as followers of Jesus. Lord, I pray that we would love people, that we would love our enemies and everybody in between, that nobody would ever feel condemned or judged or humiliated or scorned by Community Heights, or by any of our people. But God, that that we would be the first to love and the first to receive and the first to show grace. Help us to do that, Lord Jesus. In your name we pray, amen.